All right, our reading today comes from Revelation 3, 1 through 6. If you got your little books out, if you want to take some notes, uh, I'm always interested to see what notes my students take from me, and I'm like, oh, I said those things. Yes, so that would be really, if you want to show me your notes afterwards, I'd really actually be interested in, in seeing what actually popped out and you wrote it down, so it's informative to me. Maybe it'll help my second uh, sermon, too, so... All right, so the, the reading is for uh, Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. This is the church in Sardis. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So have you heard the saying, you're only as good as your last performance or your last whatever? Um, I think, I, me personally, I, I probably cling to that a little too much. Uh, for instance, you know, when I go and uh, I'd had a, a bad teaching <laughs> last week, I, had, I, I didn't do a good job, right? I didn't realize till after class I had, I had forgot a, a really big part because some students are asking me questions. I'm like, oh, I totally messed up. And, um, well, thinking that I'm only as good as my last performance, my ability to teach, if I based it on that one class, I'm horrible, right? <laughs> Which on one level is like, well, I should strive to do good and do better next time and learn from my mistake. But if I kind of stay there and I define myself only by that one experience, then I'm a loser, right? Well, this natural tendency to base ourselves off our performance is, um, well, I think it's normal. And uh, especially when you get older, uh, you can realize there are things I used to be able to do a lot better, like grow hair, and uh, dunk a basketball, and run, and stay awake, and you know, all those things I really struggled to do with now. So I can say, you know, the old days, I used to be able to, I was a triple jumper in college, which just seems like, how did I ever even do that? That just hurts me to think about jumping like that anymore, but those days are gone. But you know anybody kind of hangs on to the glory days a little too long? That's, you know, kind of normal. Um, you know, Luke, uh, always encourages me to do better, which he, sh- you know, he should. Uh, some things I should be getting better at, like hopefully teaching, hopefully being a father, hopefully being a husband, um, hopefully preaching. You know, like Luke always tells me this really good advice every time I preach. He says, "Don't suck." You know, so it's been really encouraging. Um, so if that happens today, well, I'm not going to be defined on this la- this this performance. Okay. Uh, but the idea that we can uh, make our identity based on our performance or our past performance or whatever that is, is a natural thing. And it can be, 
Well, it can be damaging, especially if you're not performing well. So this church in Sardis, it says in, in 1B here, it says, I know your works, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So Sardis used to be a really awesome city, I guess, very prominent, very renowned, including the church in Sardis, very strong church, uh, very known for the, the Christians there. But those days were gone, and they were still kind of clinging to this idea that they were awesome, and that there was this past glory that they were, that they were kind of clinging to instead of what was going on at that time. And man, these words are super harsh. I mean, if Jesus showed up today and said these to living faith, whew, this would be hard words. So this is what he says to this church in Sardis. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So Jesus has a strong word of condemnation against these, uh, whatever's going on in this church. And he tells them to wake up. That's the first thing. Now, this idea of waking up is, is common. Do you ever remember when he told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, stay awake with me, be alert, pray with me? And that's when he's, you know, pouring out his heart to his father and when he knows he's going to go into his passion. Um, this idea of being awake and alert is vigilance. Well, it may have even been a harsher word against this church in Sardis because twice the city had been defeated militarily because the guys on the wall were not paying attention. <laughs> they weren't being vigilant. So not only is it just maybe and in time for this church, like, ouch, that's a really painful thing. We know, what it, we know what happens when you're not alert. But this is about being vigilant spiritually. And then Jesus says he will come when you don't know it. So has anybody ever predicted when Jesus is coming back? Uh, yep, and they've all been wrong. They keep doing this. What's crazy to me is that anybody even thinks they can do this. I mean, there's some things in Scripture, and there's some things that aren't in Scripture, and the things that aren't in Scripture are, are, like we would say, are adiaphora, right? It's a fancy word of saying it's not either promoted or condemned in Scripture. This is not adiaphora. This is explicit. In Matthew 24, 36, it says, no one knows the day and hour. Then why do people keep trying to guess the day and the hour that Jesus is coming back? It says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake. For do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So why did people still think they can figure it out when he's coming back? I mean, this is like super explicit, that we don't know the day or the hour. But if we did know... What he said was, you would be awake. 
So could this be the last day? Yes. Could tomorrow be the last day? Yes. Could the next day be the last day? Yes. So we are supposed to live like Jesus could come back at any moment. We're supposed to be alert, supposed to be awake. We're supposed to be doing what the master has commanded us to do. And that's not what this church is doing. They are in the throes of almost being dead. This idea of wake up is like, if you can't do this, if you can't stay vigilant, then you're going to die kind of idea. This is what Jesus is saying. Wake up, be alert, be vigilant. Now, Jesus left. He's ascended to heaven. I was asking the young, I go, does anybody know where Jesus is at? They're like, oh, he's in heaven, good. I go, where's the Holy Spirit? They're like, uh, sometimes they had it, sometimes they didn't. So I ask you, where's the Holy Spirit at? Inside of you, right? So the people that were behind you and I was teaching, good job. So the Holy Spirit lives in you. He is also present in the meal. He's in present in the proclamation of the word. We know for sure where we can find the Holy Spirit and we know that he works. We know he works through his word and he works through his sacrament. So how about this church in uh, Sardis? What is the good works that, that they'd been commanded to do that they kind of stopped doing? Well, this is, remember last week Luke was talking about uh, the church in Thyatira? They were having someone teaching some false things inside the church. That doesn't seem to be the case here. This church seems to be failing, not because some pagan influence or some outside thing. They're like rotting from the inside. Not a false teacher, but they must be neglecting something here. We know exactly what they're neglecting, but we do know that the signs of the church are for sure present where the gospel is proclaimed and the sacraments are delivered. Are they failing to do that? Have they stopped doing this thing that he's commanded them to do? We have the great commission, right? Go out and baptize and to teach. Have they stopped doing this? Now, in modern-day America... Can anybody think of a church that has died? I know I, know I can. Anybody think of a church? You know, uh, There's quite a few, we would say, in rural Iowa that are on this trend, right? I know churches that are on the decline. Uh, has anybody been to Europe? I haven't, but I've heard those churches are empty. <laughs> the church in America is dying a little bit as far as numbers. The center of Christianity now is in the global south. Probably in Africa would be the center. Used to be in Europe, came to America, now it's in the global south. Do we see the church not thriving in some places? Now, I am going to put something up here, and I'd say this is first article wisdom. And I've read books on this, and I started learning about this probably 15 years ago. So this image up here is not just with churches, but almost any organization, that there might be a life cycle to it. New start, formation, learning, mature, decline, struggling, and then closure. I bet we can all think of churches that are in all of these stages. And it's got some little diagrams. Like if you know where you're at in the life cycle, what should you do? If you see yourself on the right side of that, then you have to do some things like reflection and redevelopment or redefining what your the vision is or what, why does God have you here? Now, this has some value to it, 
These are, I'd say, first article wisdom. And I had, um, I do campus ministry. I remember having a, a student, I described a church, and that student said, oh, man, I've gone by that church, and those people, that's a spiritually dead church. I'm like, huh, that's kind of different. I usually haven't heard that from people. I'm like, why would they consider that a spiritually dead church? So I started thinking, I'm like, what really makes a church alive? Uh, well, is it because, um, I don't know, they got a bunch of little kids, they got great programs, they got great music, they got great outreach, they got young families, there's a lot of joy, the building looks nice, right? There's a hundred criteria that would define what would be a living church. Very subjective, very much evaluating him on worldly performance. My mom goes to a church of 10 people out in Minburn. She's the youngest member, I think, and she's in her 70s. Okay? Is that church dying? According to the world, for sure it is, right? They're going to dwindle, and they will probably have to close their doors someday. But I would say a better way to look at if a church is alive would not be all these externals. Where do we know we find the church? Where the gospel is preached and the sacraments are delivered. This life cycle is more accurate. This is based on the theology of the cross. So even at my mom's church, is the gospel proclaimed or are the sacraments delivered? The answer is yes. The church is alive. And as long as those things are going on, it is an alive church, which makes me think this church in Sardis is on the verge of that dying. Well, thankfully, <laughs> I hope you all realize that this is what we're doing right now. We had confession and absolution. You're hearing the word. We had the Lord's Supper. I will be giving you the benediction at the end. And then what's it say to do at the end? Service to neighbor. That's what I was telling the young ones up here, that the Holy Spirit lives in them. They're we know the Spirit is present in all of this stuff, and then he empowers us to go out and live this in the world. That's the church. And whenever you see these signs of the church, it's an alive church. But can't you see the tendency to think it's something else? I mean, we're going to be busting ground in a new building, right? We do have a bunch of little kids here. We got all these external signs. Did you know that only one in 20 LCMS churches are growing? One in 20. So if we just based it on external measures like attendance, if that's alive or not, see how dangerous that could be? We should base it on what God has commanded the church to do, the Great Commission, to proclaim the gospel, deliver the sacraments. We know the Spirit is present and that he works through that word to make not only you alive, but to enable you to go out and live that life. In Revelation 3 here, it says, on verse 4, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I use this in confession absolution today, this imagery. 
But for all of you who are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you have had been given these robes of righteousness that you've washed, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now that's so counterintuitive. Usually when you take a garment and you put it in blood, it wouldn't come out clean, right? But that's exactly what it is. A stained and soiled, sinful, dark humans get to have these robes of righteousness placed over the top of us. And that is a wonderful gift to the church because Jesus willingly goes to that cross. He willingly bleeds and dies for you. This is a tough work, and it's the work that we cling to. It's the work that we believe in. We don't believe in us or the external measures of the church. We believe in his word. We believe in his sacraments. We believe in what he says and what he did on the cross. And we do believe that he rose on the third day and that all of us who call on his name will be raised with him on that last day. He has ascended to heaven. He's given us his spirit. And he says, go church, do this thing. Baptize and teach. Proclaim the gospel. Administer the sacraments. And this is the alive church. Is the alive church in this living faith here today? It's the remnant that believe, that's in this church in Sardis. This is a command of the church throughout all time that we continue in these ways, the works that God has called us to do. Your identity is not in your performance. So if this was a horrible sermon, too bad. <laughs> God's word is true. God's word will sustain. The Holy Spirit uses that word. This is the prayer that every pastor has before they preach, that the Holy Spirit would take whatever thing happens, right or wrong, but it would be for your benefit, that it would serve you, that it would enliven you to that one true faith, remind you of who you are, and that your identity is not in your performance or the lack thereof, that your identity is first and foremost and will always be in Christ, period. That is your identity. And you come here to be served, thankfully, right? Served by the word, served by the sacraments. Now, you might want to say, what are some really um, the visible signs of an alive church? Uh, when you see little kids in their church, everybody's like, oh, it's so nice. We got young people growing up in the faith or whatever, right? But I would say... One of the most visible signs I see of the church that I get to see that most of you never get to see is when I go visit our shut-ins. I'm going to list some names that maybe some of you know and don't know. So, how about Bob and Joanne? Ramona? Char? Roger and Carol, Phil, uh, his wife, Marion, goes here. He's over there. And the last shut-in that we got to visit, that Rich got to visit, was Dave Zabel. Well, thankfully, Dave is with the Lord. <laughs> and when you see someone professing their faith, even on their last day on earth, that is super powerful. That is the Holy Spirit maintaining that faith to the last day that they draw breath 
and talk about a sign of the church, the Holy Spirit works. Dave is with the Lord right now. <laughs> He's not crying like me. <laughs> He's super happy, but it's painful when we lose somebody. He wasn't making coffee this morning. <laughs> but this is why we don't mourn like the rest of the world. We mourn uh, with a sense of joy because we get to see Dave again. And not just one more time, but forever. We get to be with him. And his identity, regardless of his ability to do anything, even make coffee, is not in that. His identity was in Christ. And in the, at the end, this is one reason I love visiting shut-ins, because all these externals get stripped away. They aren't fooled that they're judged based on their performance. They're judged based on what Christ says. And they are loved. They are forgiven. And they embody the Holy Spirit. They have been served their whole life by the church, and they have gone out and served this community. And that's what we're supposed to do. We are not that church in Sardis. We are rightly proclaiming the gospel and administering the sacraments. And I pray that spirit that lives in you, that it strengthens you, the service that you've received, that it would enable you to go out and live that and show a world that's dying, that there is a hope beyond all of this. Amen? Amen. Will you stand and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, the way you serve us. Thank you for the promise that you are present. Present in your word, present in your sacrament, and present in the, in the lives of every believer. So I pray that everyone remembers that, regardless of their performance. Their identity is in you, in you alone. Amen. We receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Have a wonderful week.